You're listening to Simple Roots Radio, episode number 126, and today we uncover why 80% of resolutions never stick and what to do instead to make this year a reel of true and lasting change. Welcome to Simple Roots Radio with Alexa Sherm. Alexa believes that simplicity in life is the key to achieving true and lasting health. And now your host, Alexa Sherm. Welcome back to this podcast. As always, my name's Alexa, and this is the place to get happy, live healthy, and find more joy. Today on the show, we're combining all three of those, as we normally do, and talk about a subject that I feel is so much more important than what we eat and how we move, and that's our mindset. Yes, today on the show, we have expert Kelly Forrest Donahue, who is a clinical psychologist, plus has a host of other degrees and certifications working in places like Stanford and Johns Hopkins School of Medicine, and most recently in a private practice for the last 12 years. I've had the privilege of knowing Kelly for just a short period of time, even being a guest on her own podcast, Everyday Wellness, which you should really check out. I was guest number eight, but there are so many good ones out there. Anyways, I know you're going to love today's show as we dive into why resolutions don't work, how we can create behavior change that actually lasts, how our mind is affecting ourselves, and so much more. In the end, though, I really hope this starts to create a new way of thinking as you plan and discuss new ways of living during the new year. As always, don't forget to head on over to the show notes at simpleritswellness.com backslash 126 for more information specifically on uncovering your values and more information on the new year program that's coming your way to help you break down information like this. I'll talk more about it at the end of the show, so stay tuned, but I know I'm beyond elated for what's coming up. One, because it's absolutely free, which opens the door to everyone, but really the main goal is to help you derive the true knowledge about health that we're not talking about to create a love for it. Yes, knowledge comes before love and desire, and therefore that's what I want to do in the new year. So hang out until the end of the show to get all the details for that. For now, I wanted to tell you about today's sponsor. You have heard me talk many times about this company, even watching me make it on Instagram stories. Yes, Kettle and Fire is the sponsor of today's show, my beloved bone broth company, whom I totally geek out over. I mean, how can you not when it contains essential and vital nutrients that work to restore your gut, soothe inflammation, restore skin, nail and hair, enhance healing, supporting your immune system, and help cleanse your body. I mean, it really is the total picture right here. Like I said, it's all because of Bones Broth's amazing nutrient profile containing loads of collagen, protein, and key amino acids. The thing I love most about Kettle and Fire is that all of their products are made with non-GMO organic ingredients. They're gluten-free and paleo and keto friendly. And as you know me, it's all about the quality and that they deliver on. Using only the highest quality ingredient, Bones, that come from 100% grass-fed cattle and chicken with no additives, preservatives, or fillers. And that's a key point with bone broth. I know when you go to the store, there are so many different kinds of bone broth now, but I have to warn you that so many of them contain additives and fillers, and they're not using good bones. And if you're not using good bones, you're not getting the good nutrients. In fact, you could be getting some toxins. So make sure it's 100% grass-fed, and that is what Kettle and Fire do. And if I can be honest with you for a second... I know that you can slow simmer your own bone broth at home and it's easy, but here's the deal. I don't really have time for one more thing on my plate. And when I know it's coming from quality sources, I don't have to worry about it. So for me, it's as simple as just buying a pack of bone broth and keeping it on hand for whenever 
the need strikes, which really for me is about every day. So speaking of using Kettle and Fire, they have launched an amazing line of pre-made soups. The tomato is delicious, in addition to their traditional bone broths. I use the regular bone broth to spice up things like rice and quinoa and soups, sauces, and I even drink it straight. Like I mentioned before, I'll be showing you some new recipes and easy ways to add this into your everyday life over on social media, so make sure you head on over there and follow me on Instagram and Facebook. But for now, make sure you check out Kettle and Fire over at kettleandfire.com. And if you use my link, that's kettleandfire.com backslash simple roots, you're going to get 15% off your entire order plus free shippings on six cartons or more. So check that out. That's kettleandfire.com backslash simple roots. Okay, check that out. And now let's get right to the show. Welcome to the show, Kelly. It's been a long time coming. We've had a lot of scheduling things on my behalf, but I'm glad to finally get you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, so I wanted to talk to you about the new year and about making plans and even why behaviors don't stick. This is kind of your expertise, and it's just something that I constantly feel like I'm pondering. Like, I look at health, and even in my own life, and I think, gosh, there's all these things that I could be doing, but why do I constantly fall back into, like, old patterns and old ways, and how do we actually create that change? So that's, like, kind of what we're talking about this year, and like I said, I feel like there are so many of us that we start something but rarely stick with it, and I want to talk today about the behavior change of that, including our eating behaviors. So do you have any stats for us and research on how likely we are to actually stick to something and why it is that way. Totally, yes. And if you kind of need more proof for that, look around a gym about mid-February. Right. how many It's deserted. Right? You can always get a treadmill or a piece of equipment without problems. Uh, but that really shows you that there's a huge drop-off in the number of people who kind of stick to their behaviors and resolutions. So one statistic says that around 80% of resolutions fail by February. 80% by it's February. It's crazy. Yeah, 30 days. And then there's kind of more general research on diets, and that research indicates that about 95% of diets fail. So I didn't say people fail, but I say diets right. fail. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we know that diets don't really work. Right. Um, research also shows us that enjoyment and importance are big factors in maintaining our behaviors. And I know we'll get more into that mm-hmm. too, but enjoyment really comes from how we're thinking about something. Um, and then the importance of something is really tied to our values. So that's sort of a kind of an overview of what of what behavior change or lack thereof looks like around the new year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's really fascinating research, and it's funny because I feel like we always default to doing the same thing. Like every year, this is going to be our year. But I mean, the statistics don't change. Like it is, it is what it is. Like year in and year out. Uh, and yeah. So if we dive into the behavior change. Is this like an individualized thing? Like, is are we trying to put people in a box, kind of like the diet world would? And instead of like trying to put people into the box of like, this is how we have to change, like, is it more of an individualized approach or is there a system to actually achieving the change that we're looking for? So I think it's both. I definitely think there's an individualized component because we all have a unique genetic makeup and stressors in our lives and a certain lifestyle. But there are also kind of theories and models for behavior change. So I learned the theory of um, the stages of change from Prochaska and DiClemente. So Dr. DiClemente was one of my professors in my graduate training. Uh-huh. And 
you may have heard of this. This talks about going through behavior change in five stages, pre-contemplation, contemplation, determination, action, and maintenance. So this can kind of explain how people get interested in the behavior change, when they move to the next stage. And that's great kind of at a conceptual level. But what I found in my practice with clients is that really what motivates one person and what works for one person doesn't necessarily work for another person. Mm. What we do know is that our thoughts influence our emotions, which influence our behaviors. So oftentimes we dive into making a change at the behavioral level without understanding that our thoughts and our emotions right. see that. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, behavior change in essence is simple, but it's not easy. So if it were simple, we'd probably all be happy and healthy. Right. <laughs> right. It, I think it's simple at a core level because all you have to do is stop doing the behavior or start doing the behavior, you know, stop eating the bad foods or start going to the gym if that's what you want to do. So the concept is is pretty simple, but really the execution isn't easy. And there's many, many factors that are involved in behavior change. You know, often I think we think that it's willpower, like it's a matter right. of mm-hmm. I just don't have enough willpower. Uh, But using willpower alone is definitely not a sustainable way to make a behavior change, which is why I think we see that drop off in February. Mm -hmm. We can push through it and make our make our willpower organized in that specific area of our life. But that's it's just not sustainable. Right. So I think, you know, what really helps us to sustain behaviors is when we can tie that new behavior to a larger value and a larger goal. Yeah. Uh, So something really more important to you than just the immediate thing of putting on your sneakers every day. So for example, I value health and family. And when I tie a new behavior, like I want to eat more green vegetables uh, to one of those values, it's more likely to happen. But sometimes the behavior and the value match really aren't so obvious like that. So I had a client who wanted to start setting better boundaries and to say no to things she didn't want to do. She tried doing this, but it just, it wouldn't stick for her. But when she was able to come back and make the connection between saying no to obligations and having more time with her family, which was her number one value, it became easier because then she wasn't thinking about how's this person going to feel? What are they going to think of me? She was thinking about, I want to be with my family and this will help me do that. Mm. And, you know, a couple other things are really important with behavior change. I think the first is that small changes make a really big difference, including like very easy changes, like let's drink another glass of water today. Even if that seems so easy, when we do these small things consistently, it makes a huge difference, like really, really big. Right. I like Um, think about some of these things that they talk about, like having such an impactful difference, even on your health, like things like practicing gratitude. And sometimes I look at it and think it almost seems too easy to be true. You know, and I I look around and I think, why are some of these super simple things, the things that we constantly overthink and don't even do, you know, like, I'm just like, oh, like, even in my own life, I'm like amazed at the little things that I could be doing just to work on my mindset and other things that I know have even a bigger impact than these big life changes, like our exercise habits and our eating habits. And yet we want to go right to the big life change rather than just realizing the impact that these small things could have. Yeah. And I think it's totally, it's sort of normal and insane. I know that's one of Eckhart Tolle's favorite phrases, but it, it makes sense. It's, it's normal to do that because we've wired ourselves and been wired um, 
at a neural connection level to kind of go through our life living the certain way. So any change from that takes effort. Any change from that takes um, some discomfort in going through mm-hmm. that until we understand that these little changes can make a difference. And things that we can do to help with that are to surround ourselves with people, either real actual people or virtually um, listening to great podcasts or listening to other people who kind of have that same philosophy as a source of support. So when we surround ourselves with those people, we're more likely to continue to keep working on those little changes, those people who are thinking the same way that we are. Um, And another thing that I see is that people often wait to feel inspired. Like, uh, I'm going, I'm going, when I feel inspired to go out and start my running program, then I'll go. Mm-hmm. That's really not going to work because we have to, oftentimes we have to do the behavior before we feel a certain way. So that's called behavioral activation. So even if you don't feel like going out for a run, if you want to train for a half marathon, putting your shoes on and just telling yourself you're going to go for a walk around the block. And maybe that's all it'll be that day, but you're more likely to do it the next day because you're creating a new pathway, a new network in your brain, and you're making that pathway more familiar. Yeah. I want to talk about that in a second, but I want to go back to something you said early on in this, that we changed via our mindset to our emotion, to our behavior change. And like you said, a lot of us just go right to the behavior change, like without dealing with our mindset or emotions. But then I also think the next default thing is to go an emotionally based thing. Like I think coming into the new year, like resolutions are often emotionally driven. You know, when we look at the way that they're trying to use their emotions to back up their behavior change, but still what you're saying, like that's still not even enough. So I want to get into the mindset a little bit and talk about how are we wired? Yeah. And why is our mind the important core of change? I think part of it is that we have over 60,000 thoughts a day. Holy um, smokes, that's a lot. (laughs) That's a lot. That's a lot. And it could be more, who knows? Right. Uh, But it really starts with thinking about how we're changing our self-talk or even just becoming aware of how we talk to ourselves. Because our brain believes what we tell it. Mm -hmm. So when we're constantly having these thoughts that, we can't do something or that we aren't good enough or that we're lazy or fat or whatever it is, our brain believes that because we're telling it that over and over and over again. In addition, we have to remember that we're wired for safety. So our brain wants to keep us safe and it wants to be as efficient as possible, which means that doing that same thing over and over again is more efficient than trying something new. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean it's right. It doesn't mean it's right. No, exactly. No, it's comfortable. Right. It's comfortable because we do it again and again, but that doesn't mean that it's right. Um, one of my favorite studies that talks about mindset was done by uh, Dr. Alicia Crum at Stanford, and it's so fascinating to me. So she took housekeepers who were working in a number of different hotels, and she got them together and kind of asked them about what they did each day. And they listed things like, I push heavy trolleys of towels, I vacuum the floors, I make beds, you know, all of the things that housekeepers do. However, they didn't view any of that as exercise. Mm. So that was, that was kind of the end of it. But she took, so she took half of that group and told them that they were indeed doing exercise, that all of these things were very great for their health. And the other half, the other group got no other intervention. So they went off and did their own thing. Um, for several weeks. And then when she brought them back together, 
she, without changing anything else, she found a group that she had told that they were doing exercise and doing these great things for their body just with their normal job activities. Those people had lost weight. They had improved their blood pressure. They've had all these great changes in their physical health just based on the way they were thinking about what they were doing. Yeah. Kind of it, uh, yeah, I think that stuff is so fascinating. And it's why I love having people like you on because I feel like when I started out with nutrition, like it was all about how we were supposed to eat all these different foods of eat this, not that it's so popular. But the more I studied this and the more I watched other people and tried to help other people, I'm like, it's not about what we eat at all. It's about our mindset and how we're eating rather than what. And I think that's so fascinating. So I kind of want to stay there for a minute because I really, really, really want people to grasp this idea that of those 60,000 thoughts, those aren't often based on reality. So like we have our conscious mind and our subconscious, unconscious mind. What percentage of thoughts are coming from, I don't even know if what percentage, but in our mind, like, correct me if I'm wrong, you know the mind way better than I do, but most of what we're thinking are not based on our reality. It's a perception of reality. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. And I can speak to the percentage because it's estimated that 95% of our thoughts are at that sub and unconscious level. So if you flip that around, that means that 5% right. <laughs> are conscious, right? So most of what's running our lives is at that sub and unconscious level. So thank goodness for some of that, because we don't want to think about blinking every second right. or breathing. So it's great that we have that. But so much of our early beliefs and programming and the way that we view the world makes up how that 95% plays out. And so the other thing is, most of that 95% is the same thing that it was the day before and the day before that and the day before that right? So it, <laughs> because it likes what's familiar. So it really doesn't, it doesn't change very much. Uh-huh. And the studies kind of, it's really, it's tough to figure out what percentage of those unconscious and subconscious thoughts are negative, but some of the research indicates that 70 to 80% of that is negative. So if you think about, you think about it like an iceberg and you have, Underneath the water, you have this huge proportion of your thoughts, and most of those are negative. Like that little tip of the iceberg is going to be really, really influenced by all of this that's going on underneath. Right. And even to take those thoughts, like that is impacting our hormonal flow, our digestive processes, how we store things. I think it's like the connection of thoughts are not just things. that don't have any impact, right? Like they are impacting the entire span of every cell in the body. And that's like when you say, like when you go back to that study about if we just have a more positive view about the things that we are doing, even if they're minuscule, like even if you don't change anything and you just change the way you think about what you're doing, like science shows that you can create change just based on thoughts alone. Yes. Science has shown us that beliefs and thoughts actually create neuropeptides in our brain. So just by thinking something, it's having an effect on your brain chemistry. Like that's, that's just crazy. Right. And then, then that's, that's trickling down into all the cells in the body. Exactly. Okay. So from what I've researched, like I said, I'm, I'm digging into the mind more. You've studied this all along. I wish we would have done more of this in college because it's, like I said, I think that the mind has to be the starting point of all change. Um, like you said, it has to, it's been studied that way, but 
when we release these different neuropeptides. Okay, so my question is, are we born, are some people born more positive and some people born more negative? Or is that literally learned from our earliest beliefs about life? I think it's a combination, just like so many things in life. I think there's probably a genetic component and this could be kind of actually in the genes Mm -hmm. and this could be learned behavior. So if you see your parents acting in a negative way, you're going to be much more likely to act in a negative way compared to another child who has really positive parents. Um, So again, it could be this genetic component. It could be kind of the behavioral piece of your upbringing, but then it's also how you're interacting with your environment. So I mentioned community as being very important and surrounding yourself with people who want to be healthy and do some of these things that you want to do and make the changes you want to make. So it's really an interaction between our genetics and our environment. And, you know, this is where food comes in too, because food definitely can turn on and off certain genetic markers Mm -hmm. and the way things are expressed and food can influence what neurotransmitters we produce to make us feel happy or sad. So I think the food comes in because it really affects both the kind of genetic biological piece and the expression of that in our environment. Right, right. And when you talk about neuropeptide, every thought is releasing a specific neuropeptide. So when we start releasing all these negative thoughts, like our cells become more prone to accepting negative neuropeptides like this is my understanding is like that we can actually transition our cells like our cells have a number of receptors for positive emotions and negative emotions which aren't technically emotions right they they come out as neuropeptides and neurochemicals and all these things and our cells like the more negative we become the more likely our our cells are to get rid of some of the positive receptors and just attract more negativity because that's again what's become consistent and that's how it functions and so I think when we look at negativity, I like I I used to want to believe that it was just something that we could just choose, right? Like just choose to be more positive. But it's a little bit more complex than that. Like I think that there is a level of this and this is what I want you to answer for me is there's got to be a level of choosing more positivity, but you also have to almost retrain your body and your mind to be positive. What is the steps in that of, this isn't just a thought thing, like this is a biological process that now has become ingrained in you, whether positive or negative, and why I think positive people are more likely to stay positive. It becomes easy, right? Like I think if we can get ourselves there, it's easier to stay there. But how do we get ourselves, like if we are living in this negative, like even fearful, anxiety-driven, we have these negative perceptions about us. Like how do we not just retrain our mind, but our entire body to accept that and change? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And I think that it starts with how we talk to ourselves. Mm. You know, going back to that, but we do that all the time. We're not even aware of how often we okay. do that. I don't mean to interrupt you, but how many of our yeah. thoughts are just us talking to ourselves? Like not even thoughts about other things, but just about us conversing with ourselves. Oh, I would say most all of them. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's just going on all the time. Like, should I wear this sock or this sock? Right. I, I guess when you start putting in that perspective, like just the constant everyday chatter that we're just talking to ourselves. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. So when we think about changing that, it starts with how we're talking to ourselves. Because again, those thoughts, talk, talk is really thoughts. And they're creating these pathways and peptides in our brain. So it feels like, it takes a long time to make changes, but it, it's re- it's about repetition because it's about having to change things at that neural level. Mm, mm-hmm. 
like you mentioned, the negative connections are so well formed in the brain that it takes time to change those. Now we can do things to help. It's not going to take like, let's say you're 35 years old. It's not going to take 35 years to make the changes from being negative to being positive, Right. <laughs> but it is going to take some repetition. Mm-hmm. And so you can, you can do that by creating your why and that will help to bring you back to the more positive way each time you're doing it. Um, you can also do it by bringing in visualization. So we know that there are studies out there that show how powerful visualization is, and many athletes use it to enhance their sport performance. Well, we can harness those same techniques and skills to enhance our life because we know that when we visualize things happening, that also creates changes not only in our brain but in our body. So studies have been done of college athletes who are basketball players and a group was asked just to imagine making free throws and practicing them. And then a group actually did practice them. And both of those groups did significantly better than a group that was given no intervention at all. So that shows us that the act of visualizing helps us to move forward toward what it is that our goal is. So if our goal is to be more positive, if we can picture ourselves going through our day, being more positive, it's going to sort of like prime those areas in our brain to make those decisions when we're in the moment. So again, though, it does take sustained practice over time and it takes not getting down on yourself right. when when that when you don't uphold your new behaviors or your new self-talk patterns 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But do we learn these behaviors? Like, have we been taught to be negative or is this like human nature? I think some of both. Again, I know I say both for everything, but our, our brain and our body are hardwired for protection. Mm-hmm. They're hardwired to keep us safe. So sometimes negativity can be, or can be like, oh, don't walk down that dark alley. You know, we could say that's negative. We're not taking risks. We're not doing whatever. But that's our body's way of keeping us safe. Right. The problem is when that safety mechanism, that very primitive primal safety mechanism is transferred to modern day. Mm-hmm. So for us, it's like, oh, don't get up there and give that speech in public because something terrible will happen. Well, the reality is nothing terrible is going to happen. But our brain hasn't kind of shifted to the modern day. It's still trying to do whatever it can to keep us safe. And that means doing the same thing over and over. Right, right. Yeah. And it's the same way in nutrition, anything, right? Like people are like, why can't I lose weight? And your body wants to be safe. Sometimes having too much weight is actually a safety mechanism, right? To be overweight is better to be too thin for our bodies in most cases. And therefore it's survival. Like whenever our body feels threatened or it feels unsafe, then its job is to keep you kind of in that sympathetic mode, right? Like that fight or flight mode where we're kind of always on edge and our body really can't relax. I always teach people in the world of nutrition about building trust with your body. Like our body has to be able to trust itself um, and trust you that we're going to provide the food that it needs, that we're not going to go on any crazy diets and um, restrict or starve it too long, right? Like we're not going to do anything crazy that it can then start to do the job that it was designed to. Is there a level of like safety for our mind too of... um, how do we make our how do we make our environment safe enough that our mind can change? I guess that's the question. I think again it's the way that we talk to ourselves about it. And I think it's being kind to ourselves. So oftentimes we think like, oh, if I'm just hard on myself and tell myself not to do this um, and beat myself up about it, then I'll change. Well, that might work 
initially. And again, maybe that's why we see people not going to the gym in February. Maybe mm-hmm. they were giving themselves kind of harsh ultimatums in the beginning. But when we're kind to ourselves repeatedly, we do develop that trust. We, when those anxious feelings come up, we say, okay, anxiety, I see you coming up. I know you're trying to protect me. I got this one. And you, you just kind of have this dialogue with anxiety in a very non-threatening way. Mm-hmm. And, and recognizing that, again, we are primed, our brain is primed to protect us. So it's not like we can completely rid ourselves of negative thoughts or anxious thoughts. But when we accept that that's part of who we are and have a dialogue with them and then still move forward, we can move forward and do something even if we're feeling anxious. They're, right. they're not two distinct things. So when we can kind of practice that again and again, it becomes easier to do. It feels onerous in the beginning, just like learning a new language or a new sport might feel onerous. But once you continue to practice it over and over, then it sort of becomes a habit and that's your go-to rather than the negativity or the... Right, right. Okay, I want to get into some of these practical tips because you've given out a few, but someone going into the new year, I think that there can be a lot of anxiety and just a lot of, like I said, running back to the norm, even though we know that the norm has never worked, like resolutions and all, all of these other things that we try to convince ourselves to do, like these full life flips starting January 1st. How would you help someone approach the new year and really doing something different this year? I would first start by normalizing this anxiety that often comes up. So the anxiety is often a reason why we want to make a change. Mm -hmm. And that's not necessarily the best reason to make a change if our thought that's driving that is kind of negative. So I I would really help people to understand that when anxiety comes up about making these new changes, that it is normal that we can get through it, that it's not that it's not a life or death situation. I think it's also important to set goals that are realistic. Um, We want to set lofty goals, but at the same time, we need to realize that we're not going to reach that goal tomorrow. So understanding that these little changes that we're making can lead to our long-term goal. So I'd like to think about it like stair steps. So someone comes in and says, hey, I really want to get healthy in the new year. I want to exercise. I want to eat better said, great. So we get a picture of what that looks like Mm -hmm. um, and very in in a lot of detail. But then we start with these stair steps. So we start with what's the first thing that you want to do? Maybe it's drinking more water. Maybe it's cutting out sugar. Maybe it's going for a walk every day. Just those very little things. And then once we're doing those, then we look at the next thing. What's the next thing we can do? Maybe you can start running a little bit more. Maybe you can um, change your diet to make it a little healthier than it was even from our first stair step. And I think sometimes the key is to be flexible too, because we can't often see obstacles that are going to get in our way. And we can't often see what the next step we need to make might Mm -hmm. be. We actually start doing something. Um, So one of my online virtual mentors, Marie Forleo has a great saying, which is clarity comes from engagement, not thought. So I often tell my clients that, in order to understand something a little bit better, to get a better perspective on it, you have to engage in something. You have to do something in order to see that next step. Mm-hmm. Probably plop, the idea won't pop into your lap sitting on the couch. So you have to um, break it down, be realistic about what the next step is going to be, harness that power of self-talk. We're already talking to ourselves all the time anyway. 
So changing that to work in our favor is useful. And then really using some of those visualization techniques, whether it's just five minutes in the morning, thinking about how you want your day to go and what you want it to look like, or you can listen to guided imagery and that kind of thing, but really setting yourself up for success from a mind perspective. And then I also think that we know the mind and the body are so intimately connected. And when we're in an anxious state or when we're really getting stressed about the new year and our resolution, our focus tends to narrow. Right. And we can't see options and we're in this sympathetic state. So going back to the body and doing something as simple as taking six deep breaths can switch, flip that switch into the parasympathetic kind of rest and digest state. When we're in that state, we have so much more ability to see other options because we're not as focused and narrowed on one thing or as focused and narrowed on protecting ourselves. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, they're such simple things, but yet to our body can make all the difference. So when we look at these things, what is the snowball rate that people will see <laughs> this panning out? Because I think we think that we have to have we're, let's put it this way, we're a society of instant gratification, right? And so sometimes it seems like, well, that sounds good and that I could do that. But what are the chances that I'm going to see something from that? Yeah, that's totally it. People definitely want instant gratification. And with social media, we see instant gratification. We see people Mm -hmm. seemingly changing before our eyes. And I think it's, again, it's different for everyone based on where you're starting, based on what you want to achieve and really how committed you are to changing. So some people will say, hey, I really want to lose weight, but I'm not really into changing my diet and I can't I can't work out this many mm-hmm. days a week. So it's about you know making your commitment and figuring out what it is that you that you really can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in the last question I asked you, you said something right away about normalizing anxiety. And this is like a totally different podcast that we could probably do just in anxiety. But I think that's a fascinating word use that you just put together. Normalizing anxiety. I know that there's tons of anxiety in the holiday season and going into the new year. And just you kind of described it there, but just like describe what you mean by normalizing anxiety and how someone could could kind of beat that next year, you know? Yeah, for sure. So anxiety is huge. I was talking to some primary care providers earlier in the year about what resources would be helpful to their clients. And they all said almost in unison anxiety. So they estimated that not even around the new year, but just in general, about 95% of the people who come into their office for physical issues also have anxiety as a major concern. And again, I think it goes back to that idea that our, our brains want to keep us safe. They're wired to keep us safe. And anxiety is kind of that feeling that keeps us safe. Mm-hmm. But if we, again, if we can back it up from anxiety, when you're feeling that in that moment to say to yourself, okay, what is the thought that I'm having right now that's making me feel anxious? Right. It might be like, I'm never going to achieve my New Year's resolutions or there's, I'm, I know I'm going to fail. Well, of course, if you're having that thought, you're going to feel anxious. Mm-hmm. And then when you're feeling like that, you're not going to want to engage in the behaviors that would make you not feel that way. Right. So if you're not doing those behaviors, that's going to just reinforce those thoughts that are mm-hmm. negative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that this is 
common and it's normal. It again, we're wired to keep ourselves safe, but by talking back to the anxiety and not in a mean way, not in a sassy way, (laughs) you know, letting it know that it's okay. We're not being chased by a saber tooth tiger. This isn't a life or death situation. Um, by doing that again and again, it will really help. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of Byron Katie's questions is super helpful for me and my clients at saying, is this thought really true? That's what you ask yourself. Like, could this thought be, be proven in a court of law? Because oftentimes mm-hmm. we think our thoughts are, are the facts. Like, no, this is the way it is. But often our thoughts are just opinions about ourselves. Mm. They're not facts. Mm-hmm. So if we can separate what's a fact from what am I thinking and is that a fact, that can also be really helpful. Mm-hmm. So when I think about all of this stuff, I mean, like I said, it's all such simple things. And it's just daily kind of the awareness of our mind. So my question is, can we do this alone? Like, do we need to get external help? Like, do we need to be a part of a group who's going to do this? Or is this something that you've seen people be successful at just at home? You know, they've listened to this podcast. Like, can they just do this? Or do they need to seek help? Like, a counselor to just kind of help walk through this or a support group or create their own support group? Like what is the effectiveness that someone pulls this off without support? I think if someone wants to change, they can definitely start doing some of this. Like they Mm -hmm. can start thinking about becoming aware of what their thoughts are and being kinder to themselves. However, I think the tricky part is, is when we come up with up against life's natural circumstances. We can be going along and doing this, but then we don't know how to handle it or we get derailed when um, life happens. And that's when it's important to have a community, whether that's kind of a community of support peers or a coach or a therapist or a guide or someone to say, hey, let's, let's work together and practice this. Let me help you navigate some of these barriers that we're coming up against and get back on track at least until we can get this to become a habit. Mm -hmm. We know that habit formation takes, you know, approximately two months to do. So I think it's useful to have someone kind of guiding you and helping you along until this becomes more routine, both in your behaviors and in your brain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Would you say that's true for your clients too? I I would say that it's true because I think, I, I mean, I would say it's very true, especially even when I look in my own life and I think, about the thoughts that sometimes it's hard to really understand what's true and what's untrue. You know, like, I feel like it's easier to have someone help you work through what is real reality and what is just false beliefs that you've placed on yourself. Um, because yeah, I think, what, go ahead. We're in it. When we're yeah. so in it, we can't often mm-hmm. see it. We can't see that it's a thought versus a fact, or we can't see the connections between the ways we've been thinking to how we're feeling to what we're doing. Yeah. So, can be really helpful to have someone shine a light on that. And it doesn't have to be for a huge, long amount of time. I think once we're able to really have that awareness, then we can start to take the steps to create the change. And then like you mentioned with the snowball effect, once you start making some of those changes, it's likely that you're going to find more people who are supportive of those. And then it becomes easier to maintain because that's just what everyone around you is saying that becomes the new norm. Right. Yeah. And I think anxiety is, it's almost like a trap, you know, like it almost traps you in the state of, I know this isn't who I am and I know that this isn't true, but I can't quite see truth either. You know, like it's this weird, 
seems to be like an in-between and something that I found effective and why I ask if you've seen anyone do this by themselves effectively is that I feel like the more I voice my insecurities, mm-hmm. the more I voice my thoughts to someone else, yeah. the more I'm able to distinguish the reality. And I, and I encourage my own clients to do that too. Like, what are your, what are your fears? Because I think that we live in the society that we should be everything and do everything and that we shouldn't be struggling with these things. But that's, like you said, this is human nature. This is, this was born in us and our epigenetics certainly aren't helping anything along the way. And we're all struggling, right? Like we all are, like there's no one out there who doesn't struggle with something, but I find that voicing that and like the relational aspect, I feel like it's something again, that we've just been a society who's been taught to do stuff by ourselves, which is funny because when you look at diets, like rarely do you ever see a diet program that doesn't have some kind of accountability tool with it. Right. You know, but why do we think we can do the mind by ourselves? Like why can't we overcome that? Yeah. And I think if we think about ancient times, we were organized in communities for a reason, mm-hmm. not just for the conveniences, although that was really super helpful for childcare and cooking and things like that. But I think also to kind of keep on top of that mindset and someone could help kind of pull you back in if they saw you going off the rails yeah. a little bit and how you're thinking. And here in today's society, I think we are definitely more pull yourself up by your bootstraps, more individualistic. And there's certainly an element of that that I think is true and important. But again, I think that until we can create in our mind and in our behaviors a new norm, a new way of interacting, it's really helpful to have other people around us. Because one thing that anxiety does is it breeds inaction. So when we're feeling anxious, we tend not to act. We Mm. tend to just kind of back and hibernate or isolate or not do things. Right. naturally isolates us from other people who might be able to point out, hey, I think that you're the way you're thinking here might not be accurate. Like, let's look at uh-huh. this together. Uh-huh. The same change that they kind of give you some hope and pull you out of that. Yeah. Yeah. This is all really fascinating stuff. And it just, I just hope, and I think it's trending this way, that there's more of a focus in 2019 is what it's going to be on the mind and relationships. And because when we look at the whole scope of health, and you can vouch for this too, we can't change without our mindset change. And we, I mean, it's impossible. Like why diets don't work? Why are more people getting sick and overweight? And it's because we've missed the most critical aspect of all of it. Like I can recommend a ton of nutrition recommendations that should work, right? Based on science, but why aren't they working? And it's because we don't take the time to deal with the mind. Just because I recommend these things, if you don't back it up with your mindset, doesn't mean it's going to, it's going to work inside the body because our thoughts are having, I think the biggest impact on our biology um, and how we, how we, what do I want to say? How we derive results from what we're eating and how we're exercising is a strictly from the mind. Like there are studies that, and you might've seen this too, you know, when, when people say, I feel like I can gain weight just looking at a piece of cake, like that is a true biological response in the body based on our thoughts, right? We know that the more negative our thought is, the more likely that you can go into that sympathetic, release cortisol, break down muscle mass, convert it into sugar, right? because insulin spikes, and then just convert it back into body fat without ever eating a piece of cake. But then why can some other people sit down and eat a piece of cake and it does nothing to them? No, I'm not saying that 
sugar is good if we have the right mindset. But I'm saying I think that there is a diff, there, there's a true hormonal biological difference that we cannot deny in the science field. And we cannot get someone true results without dealing with the mindset and the stress of life. Exactly. Exactly. It goes back to how our thoughts influence our emotions, mm-hmm. which influence yeah, I think that's something everyone should write down is just put a circle in the middle and write mindset. And there's all the things like sometimes I feel like I have to really write that down. And maybe we'll create some kind of diagram that we can help our clients with. But it is it's like, okay, if we start looking at all the things that we want to do, I would say that 99% of them are going to fall into the behavior change. And then if we get into the why we want to do them, the rest is going to fall into the emotional, right? Like rarely are we hitting the mindset component, maybe because we don't even know how to. Right. Well, we all want to feel good or feel right. better, right? Mm-hmm. So we want, we know we want that, but in order to get there, we need to think about things differently and that'll lead us to act in different ways. So it kind of goes right. back to reinforcing that whole cycle. But again, it, it's about practicing it too, because we aren't trained to do things this way. We aren't trained to think about our thoughts and get, see the power that they have in this way. So it takes practice and repetition and that's how change happens. Right. Yeah. Okay. So the last question I have for you before we get into the quick fire is you mentioned values. So when we look at this central component, like I said, a lot of us could put ideas and the behavior change and even the emotional, how do we uncover our values? Like how do we uncover creating the mindset of change? Well, if we talk specifically about our values, I have a really simple exercise that I do with my clients. And it's just a list of about a hundred different things that people could value. So everything from family to happiness, to adventure. And I ask people to put those into groups. So they narrow those down into six different groups. And then they look at those six groups and go through those and pick the top two or three words from each of those groups. And then they further narrow those down to their top three out of those groups. So from the six groups, we narrow down to three. So now we have two or three words in each of those three groups. And we use that to help them really understand what their core values are, because it can seem kind of abstract until you have something in front of you and you're Mm -hmm. able to look at it. And then I think once you have that, then you figure out how you can put the changes that you want to make under those things. And this is often where coach or therapist or guide can be helpful in this because like I mentioned with the person wanting to change how she said no and setting her boundaries, it might not be obvious how that could be tied to one of your core values. And and maybe it's just too far a stretch for some things, but for many things, if things are really important to you, you'll figure out a way to make them part of your top value system. And Mm -hmm. see that when you do, that makes change so much easier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I did a little bit of that at the beginning of last year, and it really just changed my perspective of, like, it It became the hard why, you know, like, it became the reason behind it. And I think that we think we have whys, but usually our whys aren't really backing up our true values, and therefore and like, they fall. Yeah, exactly. And I'd like people to be very concrete about this to write down their values and then to write down their why. Like go old school, get a note card, write it down and or put it in your phone where you can see it or listen to it. And repeating that, repeating your values and repeating your why really serves as kind of a direction Mm -hmm. and address in your GPS. And once you put that in, it's just much easier to follow that course. Right. 
And I think that we've lost the aspect of writing things down. Like you said, I think there is something, and you mentioned this earlier, to actually visualizing it, to seeing it. And that can change our subconscious and unconscious minds to be more shaped by our true reality. Oh, I could talk about this stuff all day. (laughs) (laughs) It's super fascinating. And it is to me like, this is, if this is change right here, like, Yes, I can share all day, like I said, about health changes that we could be making. But without this component, like it's a losing battle. Like that's what we're fighting. And mm-hmm. I don't want to see people do the yo-yo diet anymore. Like I don't want to see people get their hopes up that the next diet's going to work or Whole30 is going to be the thing. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with a lot of these things. It's just what's wrong with it is that we're missing the connection to it. Yeah. And we're going about it in the opposite direction, which never works. Um, And so this is like why I'm so pumped about the new year and trying to help people come early and start to think about these things and go into it in a different way. Because I think that is the power of change is when we don't just repeatedly do what we know isn't going to work because we don't know what else to do. But now we have a different way and a way that has been studied time and time and time again to change things. So I'm excited. I know this isn't going to be our last interview together because I wrote down a bunch of topics as we were talking. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, okay, we can talk about this. Um, (laughs) Anyways, I can ask you a hundred more questions. But the last thing I think I want to ask you, I said last question was last question, but three things. This is really going to be the last question. Three things that you would like to see people think about, focus on, do today or this week to really start this process. Okay, so I would say, not surprisingly, based on what I've said in this interview so far, the first thing would be to clean up our self-talk. And that involves being aware of what we're saying and then being mindful of how we want to change it. Mm -hmm. So we want to talk to ourselves the way that we would talk to a good friend or want a good friend to talk to us. We want to be that kind to ourselves. So understanding that don't have to be mean for ourselves. Meanness doesn't motivate change. So we can be kind to ourselves and in the way that we talk to ourselves. Right. Mm-hmm. The second thing would be self-care. So self-care is so huge. And I know that it means a lot of different things to different people, but we know that it's not just, if anyone's been listening to your podcast, they know it's not just pedicures and massage. Right. It's doing those little things that refill us when we get depleted from the stress of life. So mm-hmm. it's just making time for ourselves to take care of ourselves in little simple ways And that helps us to see things more positively and more realistically, too. Mm -hmm. And then I think the third thing, which I see a lot with my clients, is dropping the need to compare ourselves to other people. Mm -hmm. So comparison truly is the thief of joy. And social media like Facebook and Instagram have a lot of benefits, but they also make it really super easy to live in FOMO in comparison. Um, But I, I also want people to understand it they're in control of what they expose themselves to on social media. So stop looking at those Instagram feeds and stories that make you feel bad about yourself. Unfollow those. It can be that simple. Like that's really a way of kind of constructing your environment to set you up for success. So self-talk, self-care, and dropping the comparison. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Those are all really great things that, like you said, we can just do and be more aware of and, and again, it just comes back to like the awareness of what we're what we're doing and what we're thinking and um, just kind of holding those things captive. So this has been so good. Like I said, I'm going to I have a hundred other topics that I want to talk to you about. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we'll be back on. But before we go, 
I do have a few quick fire questions just for fun at the end of the show. And then I want you to tell us where they can learn more about you. So the first quick fire question is what is one thing you do every day for your health? Every day I move in some way. I like it to be a walk outside in the morning. That's one of my favorite things to do. But some days, like this morning when it's 19 degrees, it was just too cold. So (laughs) I switched to to doing something like 10 minutes of body weight exercise. Mm -hmm. And again, this is just a little thing. And and this wasn't always my mindset. I used to be of the mindset that I had to go to the gym for 45 minutes and get my heart rate to a certain level. But, you know, having a child changed all of that. And I reprioritize my time. So moving every day, even if it's something really small, has a huge impact on my well-being and my outlook and just how I feel. Uh-huh. Yeah. So good. And what's your favorite health book or mindset oh book or something like in that asking, field? Asking me to choose a favorite child. I, I know. More than <laughs> but, um, I, I listened to your podcast and heard a lot of amazing suggestions for books, but one that I haven't heard suggested was How Yoga Works. Oh, yeah. So this was given to me by uh, a mentor who was a yoga instructor, but it goes way beyond yoga and it really gets into talking about how mindset and kindness and giving back and community are really the mm-hmm. keys to help. So mm-hmm. I would encourage people to check that one out. That's Yeah, I haven't heard of that one before, so I'll have to check that out. What's on your Christmas list? Oh, travel. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I, I can yeah. always go for that. Yeah. Where do you want to go? Yeah. Oh, I want to go so many places. Um, I just love getting out and experiencing new things. I think it's super powerful for resetting my mindset, kind of getting us out of our normal routine, increases our creativity and allows us to spend time with people in a different way. So travel is always on the top of my list. I would also love to have some um, sessions at my YMCA, some kettlebell classes. I'm yeah. getting into that right now. Um, and I've been loving these vertical green walls. Have you seen these? Is it like a plant wall? Like a plant wall, yeah. I just think that's it's a so, good way to... Wait, like how would you do that? Like you can... Just, I would you buy would just, it. Okay. <laughs> so I didn't know you could just buy those though. Yeah, you can buy them on Etsy. That's so cool. So yeah. tell me what this would be. Like is it a bunch of like little pots on the wall that you plant things in or it just comes all together? So the ones that I like, I've seen the ones that are just the pots on the wall, and those are cool mm-hmm. too. But the ones that I like have, some of them are kind of moss, so they're not all in need of high maintenance type of stuff, but some of them just have plants planted kind of underneath them, and you just mist them. So it oh. forms the design, and you just mist them every day, and it's bringing green into your home and into your life. Okay, you're gonna have to send the link over for the one that you like on Etsy because I I have to see this for my own eyes. Okay, that is a great gift idea. What is the one thing you do for your a healthy mind every day? I meditate. Some days it's three minutes. Some days it's ten minutes. But meditation for me has been a really powerful tool for creating a pause between my thoughts and my emotions. It has helped me a lot to have increase the awareness of what I'm thinking, and then helping me to decide what I want to do. So meditation for me is like, it's like practicing off the field for a sport so that when you're in the game of life, it's a little bit easier to be more in control of your thoughts and your actions. So do you use an app for that? Or are you just, you're just doing it? I've been all over the place meditation. I've tried a number of different things. What I usually end up doing is just sitting and 
following my breath for about five minutes. And when my thoughts wander away, I just bring them back to my breath. And this also trains us to be less judgmental of ourselves because you just bring your thoughts back without any sort of negativity or judgment um, tied to that. And that helps us to understand how to do that in our normal life, in our everyday life. Right. Okay, that's just a whole nother topic (laughs) on a podcast idea of just nothingness for our mind and what that does for our body. I I have been thinking a lot about this, like just the number of distractions that we have. And um, so I've been reading Laura Ingalls Wilder to my kids. They love the series. And I always am like fascinated by the fact that at night, they just like sat in their rockers, right? Like they, <laughs> there was nothing. And I'm like, what? Like, it's such a far concept to be thinking like, what did they do? Like, they just sat there. There was nothing. Like, you know, like the amount of space that their minds had was incredible. <laughs> okay. Yes. I want to talk about that on another show because I don't know enough about it, but I've been really <laughs> thinking about that. Um, and, but it goes back to like why we have to meditate now and how hard it is for our minds to actually stop. Like all these float tanks that are going around, which I think can be really great. But I'm like, how in the world have we come here that we have to lay in a bed <laughs> that we can't get ourselves out of <laughs> for an hour? For health, right? Like, what does it come to? (laughs) Okay, anyways. Okay, what is the best piece of advice you could leave us with? I would say it would be to be kind to yourself. There's Mm -hmm. really no downside to doing that. Remembering that our brain believes what we tell it. So if we're kind to ourselves, our brain will start to believe that we're enough and that we're worthy and that we can do anything that we decide to do. Yeah, so good. I so thank you for being here. I was not going to give up on this show, even though I've had to reschedule a couple of times and because I knew that you were going to bring such a value to the show. And like I said, you're going to be back on because I have a million different topic ideas that I need to drill your brain about. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no, this is a great start to the new year. And I hope it really encourages you to step outside of the norm of what the world is telling you to do, break away from resolutions and just go back to what Kelly had spoken about in this podcast and really create changes because it's in these little things that we can see huge effects and huge changes all year long. And who knows what that could do for the rest of your life. So make sure if you need to go back and listen to the show, you might need to take notes, head on over to the show notes where I'll give you a few more notes and I'll be sure and link up all the places Kelly is, which by the way, Kelly, can you tell us where we can learn more about you? So my website is everydaytherapist.com. And you can sign up for my email newsletter there. And you can also get a free resource on self-care, which is four tips that are my best. And you'll have to go there to find out what best stands for, for self-care. In addition, I have a book that's coming out. It's called Everyday Self-Care, Your Proven Holistic Guide to Feeling Better. And this is based on lessons from working with my clients for over 12 years as a Mm. clinical health psychologist and as a coach. So I put these ideas together and really wanted to give value to people and help them use these tools, whether or not they were sitting on my couch. Yeah. So good. Thank you so much for being here. I'll make sure, like I said, and link all of this up in the show notes. So you're going to want to head over there and then check out Kelly and all the information she's providing over on her site. So thank you again, Kelly, so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Okay. That's it for today's show. And I 
hope that you leave inspired to not just set another year of resolutions that will most likely end before February is over, but that you'll take some time to dig in, to start at the core, your values, and work yourself out. Remember, change doesn't just happen and emotions aren't strong enough to support it. You have to reach the level of value, which allows you to have the right mindset to succeed. I've been so fascinated by the little things that tend to have the greatest results, like gratitude. I mentioned it during the show, but isn't it crazy that this one simple thing could change our entire cascade of health, and yet why is it so difficult to seek you? Or talk about positivity. They're like almost too easy, we forget about them. But as I mentioned, I'm starting a new initiative this year, and it's to live a simple life of health because it was never intended to be as complex as we make it. I'm calling it the well-nourished year. Last year, some of us did this for a few months, and it was really fantastic, but this year, I'm going to expand it all the way out and do it all year long. The idea behind it is to create the small change that slowly snowballs into the bigger and greater life change without having to completely flip your diet and exercise program on its head. Because trust me, it's more than just giving up sugar or going keto. Those are short-term solutions to a long-term issue. The good news is there's absolutely no cost for you to join in. But I can assure you, it could be the greatest change you've ever made. All you have to do is sign up and stay informed is to head on over to simplerswellness.com, sign up on the homepage under the tab Well Nourished Year, or check out the show notes at simplerswellness.com backslash 126. There will be a lot more information to come as it approaches, but in the meantime, I'm going to go live every day on Facebook for the next two weeks leading up to Christmas. You can find me on Facebook at Simperts Wellness, go back and watch some of the videos that I've already released to help you break down your values, figure out your plan for the new year and what areas you need to start working on and can focus on starting January 1st. Again, follow me there. I talk more about the Wellness Year, this new initiative. And like I mentioned, it's completely free. However, I will tell you that the Nourish Planner is going to be extremely valuable in this process. We align the planner to fit well with this year of getting nourished. So if you haven't done so, make sure you head on over to nourishplanner.com to get your own 2019 Nourish Planner. There's free shipping going on the entire month of December. So grab one, get your friends to join in on this free initiative to live a well-nourished year. Like this is gonna completely change your life and I can't wait to get started. Okay, that's really it for today. Don't forget to check out the show notes. Again, that's simplerswellness.com backslash 126. Also, go over to Kettle and Fire. Get some products. I know you're gonna love them. The pre-made soups are so easy to grab and go, especially for lunch or a quick breakfast. Use my name. So that's kettleandfire.com backslash Alexa Sherm to get 15% off plus free shipping on your order. I know I'll be using the bone broth and my traditional Christmas Eve soups that I'll be serving. Okay, that's it. Make sure you come back Friday as I'm going to release a few additional tips on jumpstarting change for the new year. So I'll see you then.